So, we are looking at the person of Christ today, and I'm mostly just going to be kind of taking us through this chapter in uh, the book that Tom has been working through, Systematic Theology, and kind of going through some of that. So, the very first, uh, he likes to give a definition, this is Wayne Grudem, a definition at the start of the chapter of what we're actually talking about. And so right here we see that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man in one person and will be so forever. So Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man in one person and he will be so forever. That's kind of his initial definition there. And then we're just going to dig in more and kind of the the map of what we're going to be looking at tonight is right here, the humanity of Christ. We're going to be looking at, um, yeah, Jesus's humanity, how he was like us. And then we're also going to be looking at the deity of Christ, how uh, he was shown, how he is shown to be God. And then kind of putting those two together as, as the one person, how he's both... Um, both human and both God and God together. And that's, we're going to be looking at that more. So <clears throat> first off, um, the virgin birth, this is very important to be starting off with. Um, but we're going to be looking at, yeah, starting with the humanity of Christ and, and his birth. So Jesus was conceived in the womb of his mother Mary, by miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, and without a human father. Um, so we'll be looking at a couple of these passages here, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. And it says, I'm going to read it here. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So that is the, that's the first time that we see um, Jesus' humanity with his birth. And um, there are a couple, there are, I think, three different like implications of why the virgin birth uh, 
why it was needed and why it's important and why why God became man. Um, so one of those, the first one, these are just going to be really quick. I don't have a ton to say about them, but just to keep in mind, but salvation must come from God. So, yeah, so just as as humans, when we fell, when Adam and Eve um, fell in the garden and and brought sin on mankind, there was nothing that they could do to bring themselves into right relationship with God. And so that's like, it must come from God. Salvation must come from God. And, and this was his plan from the start was to send his son. And so, um, so God became man. Another, uh, another one here, the virgin birth made possible the uniting of full deity and full humanity in one person. So, so with that, what I was just saying, um, God's plan of salvation, like this, the virgin birth, um, was needed. It, it was needed to unite, um, uh, God and man in one person, Christ, uh, for salvation. And then next we have <clears throat> the virgin birth makes possible Christ's true humanity without inherited sin. That's another another thing that was needed for salvation was the sinless, the spotless lamb of God. Um, and we'll talk about the, the work of Christ. We'll talk about his sacrifice. Uh, th- I think next week, I'm not sure. but um, But anyways... Yeah, just the virgin birth makes possible Christ's true humanity without inherited sin. So he was sinless. Um, all right, then we're gonna look at we're gonna look at the humanity of Christ and and kind of what it looked like for him to inhabit our flesh to um, come down and dwell among us and. If you go to Philippians 2, 6 through 8, um, I love this passage. And it, yeah, it talks about, it talks about Christ <clears throat> inhabiting our flesh. And, ooh, I need to find it actually. Hold on. So... All right, so Philippians 2, 6 through 8. And I'm going to, I'll read it just going into that as well. Verse 5, but have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross.
All right, so then looking at some of these things that so we could actually we could read the entire all the gospels and you it's blatantly obvious <laughs> that Jesus had a human body like like he's um from his birth to his death um you can just read any of the the um storylines of the gospels and you see that Jesus had a human body so it almost goes without saying but but this is this is big because this is we're talking about God, God inhabiting human flesh, and so in Luke two seven, we see that he was born, um, and I think I that's a typo there, but he was born and he grew up, um, and then you see that he became wearied, he he thirsted, he hungered, just like all of us. Jesus had a human mind. <clears throat> I think I want to look at, let's see. Let's look at Luke 2.46. Luke 2.46 says, After three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And so this is when Jesus was a boy visiting Jerusalem. And even at a young age, you see him reasoning with uh, the elders there and people are the, um, yeah, elders, scribes in the temple there. And so that's, that's one instance of um, that Jesus had a human mind. Jesus had a human soul and emotions. Um, yeah, this is, it's, it's really striking in different areas as well. Like he's, there's the verse, Jesus wept. And, and that, that's, that's the verse. It was when Lazarus um, died. That would be John eleven thirty five. But just, just the fact that he felt deeply um, just as we do that he loved deeply like like Lazarus was his friend um who had died and he and yeah he was he had emotions just like we do John 13:21 he was troubled in spirit um he was sorrowful he marveled and he was tempted um, he was brought into the wilderness for 40 days and tempted by the devil. And that, that in itself, I think, let's see, I don't have it on here, but, but that's when he was brought into the wilderness and tempted by the devil, that was, that was very much so just like showing that he was human and, and Hebrews actually, maybe we'll go there as well. Hebrews four fifteen, because it, it looks back on his temptation in the wilderness. Um, just in talking about how Jesus can sympathize with us because he knows what it's like to be tempted. And yet he was without sin. He did it perfectly. He, 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 
um, came through the temptation. He came through um, Satan, just throwing the whole book at him, throwing the whole book, everything that we've experienced, all this temptations to sin that we've experienced and that we failed in, um, Jesus overcame and he uh, remained sinless. And so that is a huge, um, that's a big implication of how, how he is, of his sinlessness and how he is human and yet um, fully God, fully human and fully God. So Hebrews 4.15, we'll just look at that quick. Or not so quickly. (laughs) Um, 4.15, so... And we'll start at 14, actually. So since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And I just want to keep reading because it's so good. It says... (laughs) Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All right, so Jesus had a human soul and emotions. And people near Jesus saw him, saw him as only a man. And we see that in, um, I actually have this, up here so I don't have to look through (laughs) and find it but Matthew 13 53 through 58 um, is an example of um, of the people around him not they they didn't fully grasp right away who Jesus was Um, because we see here it says when Jesus had finished these parables he went away from there And coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all this? And they took offense at him. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And so in that passage, you just see that people knew him as just one of them, as um, someone who grew up in their little town. And they knew, they, they knew who he was, and yet they, didn't, they did not know who he was. Because you, um, you see, as he reveals himself, through his life, he reveals himself uh, more and more to his, especially to, to his inner circle, to his disciples, and and especially after his um, death and resurrection. And so, so, but those who were around him as he was growing up saw him as a normal human being. And I'm sure, I'm sure it was he was being sinless. They, you know, they probably they saw him as. Um, yeah, a uh, virtuous human, but 
but nevertheless they they didn't they didn't see him as deity you know as he was growing up so um so we're looking at his sinlessness now jesus is fully human yet without sin um Let's look at Luke 4.13. All right. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him. Ooh, that's not saying a whole lot, but that is. (laughs) Um, That might have been a typo to you, but... But that's coming off of the temptation of Jesus, right? And yeah, I kind of already covered that, but um, anyways, but that, that, as I was saying, that is showing his sinlessness right there. Um, Let's do, let's do this here. So when Paul speaks of Jesus coming to live as a man, he is careful not to say that he took on sinful flesh, but rather says that God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. That's for, that's Romans 8, 3. Um, and he refers to Jesus as him who knew no sin in 2 Corinthians five twenty one. Um All right, and then there's still on the topic of his sinlessness. Uh, this was just something I thought was interesting. Um, Grudem, compa- well, I'll just read it. it, makes an interesting point comparing the testing of Adam and Eve in the garden to Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And Jesus' temptation was much more difficult and yet he did not give in to the temptation so it's kind of comparing those two um what adam went through in the garden and failed jesus went through in the wilderness in uh when satan was tempting him and he was perfect and as we saw before like he went through every temptation um and remained sinless so i just thought that was an interesting point um and we already covered this all right so we're gonna move on to why was jesus's full humanity necessary and i'm just gonna kind of um breeze through some of these but um again just implications for his humanity. Why was why was it necessary? It was necessary for representative obedience. Um, it was necessary to be a substitute sacrifice. It was necessary to be the one mediator between God and men. 
It was necessary to fulfill God's original purpose for man to rule over creation. Again, that's looking back at creation and, and what Adam could not do. Christ Christ came as a man to accomplish himself and to bring us salvation. Um, and then it's to it's necessary. His full humanity was necessary to be our example and pattern in life. Um, yeah, like we emulate, we emulate Christ. We, we, we can, the gospels, the four gospels, um, are just really good. You can see what Jesus was like. You can see his humanity and, and his, um, and, and we follow, and so we follow him. He's our example. Um, it's necessary to be the pattern for our redeemed bodies. So just as Christ was raised from the dead and he, he still had his, it was his resurrected body, but, um, but you see that it was, it was, glor- it was his glorified body, but, you know, he still had the scars in his hand. Um, he still ate fish and he, he drank, ate and drank with his disciples. And, um, so just as he was raised from the dead and, and had his glorified body. So we will also have that with our redeemed bodies. Um, and it was necessary. Um, Jesus, Jesus's full humanity was necessary to sympathize with us as a high priest. Um, All right, and then Jesus will be a man forever. Um, This is, this is pretty interesting. Um, Jesus did not give up his human nature after his death and resurrection, for he appeared to his disciples as a man after the resurrection, even with the scar, scars of the nail, nail prints. I think that's what it says <laughs> in his hand. Um, so let's look at John 20 verses 25 through 27. says, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said, this is Thomas. But Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And so that's just the fact that he could feel that he could feel and see the scars like the and and also that Jesus ascended in, like, like they watched him ascend. 
to heaven. And so I think it's really interesting to, to think of that, how, like that he is still in his human form. Like he didn't, he didn't just come down, um, like take on our human bodies and then just, you know, left it here. No, he's, he rose from the dead and he is living today. And, and he, and yeah, when we, when we get to heaven, when we see him face to face, we're going to see Jesus in his human body. Um, and so I just thought that was a really cool, um, way to end the humanity of Christ. And if you, yeah, questions, anything, as we finish up that, we're going to look at the deity of Christ next. The one verse that stood out for me in the past was uh, Revelation, where it says that uh, uh, there's other lambs that have been slain. Mm. So there's another another passage that it says that he's going to be in, in glory as it was when he was crucified. Mm, yeah, in Revelation. That, About four. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, that's something I'd never thought of. Like, I don't know. I didn't think of the continuation of his body. Like, he's seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. And uh, and just the continuation of his ascension. It wasn't just floated. It wasn't, you know, I don't know what it actually looked like. But, like, they saw him. They saw him leave the earth <laughs> in his human form. Uh, a lot of questions over time as to whether or not Jesus could have sinned. Mm. And that gets into a deep one that we won't get into tonight. But it is, yeah. You kind of covered it there that if he could have sinned, then he would not have been perfectly God and, and able to perfectly take our sacrifices. There's a lot of there's a lot of little words like forever. You know, you think of God's body and you, you don't think of it as forever. So there's mm. a lot of little things that were covered tonight that are Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, good. All right. I'm going to talk about the deity of Christ then. All right, so we're going to look at a few um, just direct, looking at scriptures, direct um, claims of Christ's deity. And the first one... So the first thing we're looking at is um, is just direct when when the Bible actually talks about Christ as God. Uh, the word God Theos, that's the Greek um, term for God, but when when that word in Greek is used talking of Christ. And so um, the first one, Isaiah 9, 6. That one is cool because it is, uh, is the prophecy of Jesus being born. Um, just give me a second here. All right, so it says, For to us a child is born, 
to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Here it is right here. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so that's talking that's talking about Jesus right there, and it's uh you know, talking about him in the future. And then we see in John one one, this is another very important passage. Um John one one says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This is talking about uh, it's going to go on. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. All right, so so Jesus was with God in the beginning. Um, and let's see here. Um thought there was more that I wanted to say about that because oh yeah I think well it's I can't remember what verse it is but it's right in Genesis where it talks about uh, the creation story and oh yeah and God said let us let us make man in in our image and that and and so you see you can see christ you can see god um well jesus was there in the beginning with god as god um and then yeah later takes on human flesh so all right so let's look at one more um Let's look at Hebrews 1, 8. All right, and this is referencing um, a psalm. It says, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Um, And I listed, I listed, we're not going to look at all those, but, but those are instances of where the Bible uses the word God um, to talk of Christ. Um, The word Lord is used of Christ, and um, sometimes the word Lord is actually is talking about like a like a superior or someone in authority. But there are many times um, throughout Scripture where the word Lord is used to speak of God Himself and to speak of Him as Creator and Sustainer of the world. And so that's where some of these, some of these scriptures, um, we'll look at a couple of these in the gospels, Luke 
22.11, and, and we'll look at Matthew 22.44 as well. Um, but these are speaking of Jesus as a human, but referencing him as God himself. Luke 2.11 For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And if you can just imagine what that sounded like, like that's not, they're not talking about, they're not talking about a little baby. This was, this is when, uh, the angels were talking to the shepherds, telling them about, telling them that Jesus was born. And so they're not talking about, oh, this, this baby is your, I don't know, like this baby is your authority figure or whatever. Like that's not like, it's talking about this baby is God. Like Jesus, this baby that was born is God himself. So that, um, that was Luke two eleven. Let's look at Matthew twenty two forty four. So this is Jesus um, talking to the Pharisees. Uh, I'm going to give a little more context here, but it says now, so this is starting in verse 41. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit, calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. And that's a pretty big, pretty big um, claim. Jesus himself claiming um, that he is God. All right, and then other other times, other strong claims to his deity. Um, this one I really like. This one, John eight fifty seven and fifty eight. Uh, this is. I can't remember. I think it is. I think it's when he's on. No, never mind. I was thinking it was when he was on trial, but um, anyways, we'll just read it. <laughs> it says, so the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus did, ooh, let's see. Jesus hid himself and went, ooh, that was a couple of bad typos there. <laughs> Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So that one there is about as explicit as you could get. That's just an interruption there is when 
when Moses said to, to God, who should I say? Mm -hmm. He said, I am has sent me. Mm -hmm. So this is a direct relation to the name that God revealed yeah. of himself. Precisely. <laughs> yeah. And, and you can see by their reaction here, like after he said that, they knew what he was talking about. Like this is not... Some people might try to get around that. Like he doesn't say... God, like he doesn't say he's God. He says, I am. No, this is absolutely explicit. Like, like he, he references, uh, like you said, he references, uh, Moses and the name given to Moses. I am. Yeah. That's Yahweh. That's as we know that, that word I am. Um, and, and then they pick up stones to throw him. All right. Like that's, saying a lot right there so he claimed he claimed he was god they thought he was blaspheming and they wanted to kill him um so that's that one's one of my favorites <laughs> um other ones we already looked at john 1 1 the word became flesh um revelation 22 13 talks about Jesus being the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Um, we're going to keep moving along here. So I just want to, I'm going to breeze through these actually, but just attributes of Christ that show his deity. So things that, that we can see in scripture. Um, while he was walking on earth that show his deity show that he was God. So divine authority over creation, Matthew eight 27. I'm pretty sure this is, um, this is when he stilled the, the wind and the waves when he, when his disciples were rowing across and got, um, and got stuck in the middle of the storm and Jesus got up and peace be still Call, like he directed uh, nature, like he stopped the storm. Um, Jesus's eternality, so how he's eternal. We saw him, that he was with the Father in the beginning. Um, and, and then he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. Um, he's eternal and that... Revelation twenty two thirteen is that same reference I just mentioned about him being the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Um, another attribute is um, his omniscience. Um, just that he knows everything. I think there was... Yeah, we're not going to look at these, but, but one of them was... Uh, when he saw Nathaniel, saw the disciple Nathaniel under the fig tree and basically told him he, he knew his thoughts, knew what he was thinking. And, um, that's just one example. Jesus's omnipresence. Uh, we're going to have to look at one of these cause I forget which, what these are. Let's see. Matthew 18. 
Okay, this is for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And so this is, this is talking about like, talking about Jesus is talking about like when he ascended, this would be after, well, he, he's speaking to his disciples, but he's talking about like after he um, would die and be resurrected and ascended but that he is with us, like he's with us right now, where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is among them. So that that is um, one of the attributes. Jesus' sovereignty, he forgave sins, and he spoke with divine authority. His immortality. So obviously we know that Jesus died. Um, but he is not dead. He is not dead. He he raised some of these even. Uh, there are some passages that talk about how he raised himself up to life and also how God raised him up to life. But um, I think I do want to look at he- Hold on. Um, uh, let's see. John ten seventeen to 18. about his immortality for this reason the father loves me because i lay down my life that i may take it up again no one takes it from me but i lay it down of my own accord i have authority to lay it down and i have authority to take it up again this charge i have received from my father and so we see there his his immortality that even though he died he he can't die. He and he's living forever. It kind of has to do with his, with eternality as well. But, um, and then finally, Jesus is worthy to be worshipped. Revelation five thirteen. I think I just want to look at that one. Um, Yeah, so Revelation 5.13, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. He is worthy of our worship. Um, So that kind of concludes the deity of Christ. Um, Jesus is rightly called Emmanuel, as we've seen, which means God with us. So he is both human and divine. 
God with us. So, any questions on the deity of Christ? All right. This last section is, um, we're going to look at, we're going to look at a few views that would be, they'd be called heresies. These are, this is more like looking at the historical, um, like understanding of Christ and so we're just going to look at three inadequate views and then and then look at the one view that um it was kind of it was put together we'll look at it in a bit but it, um it was put together to kind of finalize like no this is what the bible says put together by a council back in the 300s i think so this is it's been a long time where um there's but there's just been unanimity. <laughs> I don't even know how to say that. Or um, back since the three hundreds, I think is pretty much so. Maybe between when Christ lived and then the AD three hundred, there was some controversy, but it was kind of put to rest. And um, we're just gonna look at a few of those. So the first false view would be Apollinarianism. And yeah, I do have a picture here. Kind of gives an example. It gives um, a visual of, of what this view was like. But so a bishop in Laodicea about AD 361 who taught that the one person of Christ had a human body but not a human mind or spirit and that the mind and spirit of Christ were from the divine nature of the son of God. Oh, let's see if we can make sense of this picture. <laughs> um, can you read what those little things say? We can't see it from back there. Sure. Right here. Yeah. So this part right here says, uh, human body. The other side says divine nature, and they're kind of they're like separate, but they're pointing towards each other. It's like they're like they're coming together, but they're separate. So Jesus had. So it's yeah, it's like he had he had a human body and a divine mind. I would say. So. That, so that's kind of how, and again, this is a false view. It's not a correct way to think about Jesus. But this was what um, Apollinarius, I think, would say. Um, and then the next one is Nestorianism. The doctrine that there were two separate persons in Christ, a human person and a divine person. Okay, but as you can see in the square here, so they're all kind of in one. They're all, like the box would represent God or Jesus, I guess. And each of those would be separate. Like they're in, 
uh, they're like together, but separate. And so that one is Nestorianism. Um, and then monophysitism or Eutychianism. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but the view that Christ had one nature only as, as you can see, well, I don't know if you can see it. This says human nature. This says divine nature. And it's kind of like the two combined to make something totally different. So um, that's what that one is. I don't have a lot of background on that view. But anyways, those are the three inadequate views of the person of Christ. And so the solution to the controversy was the, I don't know if I'm saying this right either, but the Chalcedonian definition of AD 451. Okay. So this example on the screen here, divine. Okay. So this is the Trinity. The big circle is the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all one. Then over here, this is representing Jesus, the smaller circle off to the side. So you can see the human nature. Jesus' human nature is, um, well, Jesus' human nature and his divine nature are all combined into the one person of Christ. There's no separation you can see that the dotted lines around the circles there's there's no separation like he's human he's divine he's one person there's no separation there's no distinction between the two um so that's that's the chalcedonian definition and we actually have the Chalcedonian Creed here. Um, and I think we're pretty much, we're, we're finishing up here. We're going to be done in a second. So I think I want to just read this. This will be, obviously it's translated into our language now, but um, it's kind of cool to see this from church history. And again, it was four, what was it? 451. And this has been across the board, um, whether it's Catholic, whether it's Protestant, whether it's Orthodox, they would all affirm the Chalcedonian Creed here. So this is where they came together. They had these three false um, doctrines, heresies flying around, and they came together as a council in 451 of different bishops and and came together with this confession. So it says, We then, following the Holy Fathers, apostles, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man, of a rational soul and body, consubstantial with the Father, according to the Godhead, and consubstantial with us, according to the manhood. In all things like unto us, 
without sin, begotten before all ages of the Father, according to the Godhead, and in these latter days, for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, according to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the unity, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son and only begotten, God the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning him, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself has taught us, and the creed of the Holy Fathers has handed down to us. So that is the Chalcedonian Creed. And I th- I'm pretty much going to end there. I do want to just kind of like, as we're looking back at all, all this stuff, whether it's the history or just kind of the, the uh, what we went through with his humanity, his deity, all those just bring us back to why, why we're talking about this. And, and I think it, it comes down to, um, again, like this, like this has been this creed and it, well, it's been, um, throughout history through, um, what the church has confessed and we confess Christ. We've confessed, confessed Christ crucified. And so just the, I guess the value in doing what we did here is to see kind of, to bring it all together and to see kind of the foundation of, of who we worship. Like, like we, I mean, if, if you're at any of our worship services here, you're most likely gonna, um, and I hope you hear Christ preached and you hear Christ magnified and, and glorified and, um, and, and you hear the gospel and you, and so this is just like, all right, so this is diving in and looking at like, who is Christ? And he, he is God. He is, he's God. He's Emmanuel, God incarnate, um, who left his, left his place up on high to, um, humble himself to take on our flesh and to, to die the sacrificial death that we deserved. Um, and, and so just to kind of condense what we know about Christ, to go back foundationally to look and see who is this that we're worshiping? Um, I don't know. I think, I think it's good to do that. And, um, yeah, and I hope that this was helpful and yeah, I guess I'll just open it up after all that. If we have any questions before we close. I'm not sure I'm really understanding that being acknowledged in two natures. 
be acknowledged into nature. This is that towards the top? And then right in the middle. Right where <laughs> the, word the little word be is. Be acknowledged into word. nature's, yes. Okay, so. According to Godhead. Because he didn't have a sinful nature. Oh, I no. Yeah, I understand Yeah, I get what you're saying. That. Yeah. So not si- not sinful nature, not like, um, I believe that is talking about be acknowledged in two natures, the nature of humanity and the nature of his deity. So the language so, of it says to the manhood and the same Christ yep. son. And, and above that, so we're talking about his Godhead right here, and we're talking about his manhood, so... Two yeah, so I so that's what it's talking about right there. Yeah. It's not really, you know. Well, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it I could be. I can see what you're. Yeah. He, he doesn't have the sinful nature. You know, all that we've talked about, mm-hmm. the sinful nature is not included in what he has. He's taken on what was that one verse that you quoted? He's um, um, took on the likeness. Right, um, likeness, but not the. I guess I don't like yeah. the word nature, but the two oh. natures. But I mean, I can see the two elements if you want to call it that. Beca- because it but because I, it says sinful nature to you, like yeah, or yeah. I don't know if I, was, I don't like it. I think what you said, Nathan, or yeah, I I'd have to go back and find what passage I, that I is, but where it, it does talk like about. Yeah, what was it again? Just like. Took on the form, the human form, but it was it was sin apart. Right, the likeness of of sinful, like he took on the likeness of sinful man, but he didn't take on sinful like that was he didn't take on sinful nature. He didn't have a sinful nature. Mm-hmm. So the other thing that this is talking about is the other two where they were trying to separate them out and not even and not even keep them. Yeah, that because that's what it's getting at. Like inconfusably, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably. Like the distinction of his godhood, his godhood and his manhood. There is no like, like that's what it's getting at. Okay, that's why I'm getting lost. That makes more sense. The distinction of nature just being by Yeah, because that was one of those. Because that was one of the. One of the things that they were trying to like to guard against was people thinking that there is a distinction. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Anything else? All righty. I think we'll close in prayer then. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us, and we just thank you for um, thank you for who you are, God. There is like some of these things talking about these things. We just realize um, how amazing you are, how um, utterly like unlike us you like how high you are above us and yet how um gracious you are to send your son 
in our likeness, um, in human form, with a human body, um, to dwell with us, to experience what we experienced, um, and to live that sin, sinless, perfect life that we could not live. And God, we praise you, and we want to continue to praise you in spirit and in truth. And so we just thank you for your word. Thank you that you reveal yourself to us um, and that we can know you. And I just pray that, um, yeah, I pray that we would go away encouraged and, um, and just able to know you more and more and more and, um, and to love you more and to, um, yeah, and then to tell the world about you as well. Um, so we thank you for your son. Thank you for the gospel and, um, and what you did for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right.